When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, I mean, people have their opinion about my reaction to things. I consider myself more a realist than an alarmist, but, you know, people do have their opinions other than that. I, I've always thought of myself as a realist when it comes to this. That's the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He was reacting to President Trump's claim that he was a bit of an alarmist regarding the pandemic. While he did speak to CNN yesterday, he was not invited to speak at the White House's first coronavirus briefing since April. The president spoke alone. We've talked quite a bit on this podcast about my concern that science has become too politicized. In fact, I received calls yesterday from sources and colleagues from all over the world. They told me that they regularly reach out to Dr. Fauci and other members of the task force for their own guidance, and they were questioning why we would not reach out within the United States to our own experts. Truth is, there are still so many unanswered questions and so many concerns, and now, more than ever, we do need to hear from public health experts. So in this episode, I wanted to share advice and insight from Dr. Anthony Fauci himself. He spoke with my colleague Jake Tapper yesterday, and he told us what he would have briefed the public about had he been invited to speak at the White House. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Dr. Fauci, uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. So obviously, the U.S. is in the midst of this public health emergency, nearly 4 million confirmed infections, more than 141,000 deaths. Since the last presidential coronavirus briefing three months ago, um, we've, we're seeing now infections at an all-time high. Uh, hospitalizations are increasing to peak levels. Deaths are rising in some states. Uh, if you were at the briefing today, what would you tell the American people? What should we know? They're really some key issues. I mean, things like universal wearing of masks, close the bars, stay physically distant, outdoors better than indoors, particularly if you're gonna have restaurants sparsely seat people separated from each other, wash your hands. The really fundamental things, it's not rocket science. If we all did it uniformly, Jake, I believe that we could turn things around because we've shown that when you do those things, particularly the physical distancing and the universal use of masks, that you can turn around the kind of surges that we've seen. We're trying to emphasize that, and I hope that gets listened to. I've also heard uh, health experts say, in addition to everything you just laid out, um, that the U.S. needs to identify and isolate the virus so as to keep people from spreading it. And that would require, it seems, a, a national campaign of much more aggressive testing, a quicker turnaround time for results, and detailed contact tracing. Somebody tests positive, you find out everybody they came in contact with the previous week or so. Do you have any idea why the federal government is not attempting a Manhattan Project-like approach to this, going after the virus that way through uh, testing and quick results and contact tracing? 
Well, there certainly are attempts to do that, but we still have to make it better, Jake. It, in some places are getting it quite right, but others, the time frame from when you get a test to the time you get the result back is sometimes measured in a few days. If that's the case, it kind of negates the purpose of the contact tracing. Because if you don't know if that person gets the results back very, very, uh, you know, at a period of time that's reasonable, 24 hours, 48 hours at the most, when you get to six or seven days, that kind of really mitigates against getting a good tracing and a good isolation. So we've got to do better on that. So I guess the question is, how then do we do better on that? Um, some of these labs are federal labs. And so theoretically, the government, the federal government could put more money into them, uh, buy more supplies, uh, hire more staffers. Some of them are private labs, uh, which means that President Trump is the only one who has the power to invoke the Defense Production Act and require more equipment to go to those labs and require that those labs hire more people uh, as an official act. Because we're six months into this, and testing results right. still take far too long, as, as even the testings are, Admiral Giroir acknowledged. D is it going to take an act like that from the federal government, from the president, to increase the, the, the speed? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure what it would take, uh, uh, Jake, but it's certainly we need to do better when it comes to that. There are certain things that are being done quite well in certain areas and in others not. I would say it really is patchy. It isn't as uniform as we would like that every single state, city, every county, every place where we need it is doing it at exactly the same level. As a whole, we need to improve it. I mean, you said that, we know we need to do that. Um, you have an idea of how federal labs are working. You talk to people who are in the trenches. What are they telling you? I mean, do they need more money so they can buy more equipment and hire more people to, to do the lab testing? I mean. What, what's the story as to the lag time? Because as you note, that's a real problem. If I get tested on a Monday and I don't find out until Saturday that I'm negative or positive, that's a whole week lost. Well, you know, it differs from whom you speak to. One of the common denominators is that when you get surges like you're seeing now, it kind of overwhelms the system a bit. And even places that were getting tests that were back in an expedited manner, now we're having trouble because there are a lot. So just the number of tests that you do doesn't always give you a right reflection of how well things are working or not. You really gotta make a smooth uh, transition as it were from having a certain level of testing to ratcheting it up and still getting the results back on time. So it's been a difficult situation. People are trying as best as they can. But as I said, we need to do better particularly when you're dealing with the surges that we're seeing now in some of the southern states. The president today insisted that the U.S. is doing great when it comes to handling this virus compared to the rest of the world. I mean, empirically, um, that's not true. The U.S. is currently, according to official numbers, the, the global leader in cases, the global leader in deaths. For, for context, the U.S. has about four to five percent of the world's population, four to five percent of the world's population. But we have about 25 percent of the world's COVID-19 deaths. This weekend, President Trump called you an alarmist. Um, I know you don't like to get involved in tit for tats with President Trump, but is the charge fair, do you think? Are you an alarmist? Well, I mean, people have their opinion about my reaction to things. I consider myself more a realist than an alarmist, but you know, people do have their opinions other than that. I, I've always thought of myself as a realist when it comes to this. 
Four vaccine candidates have shown promise, turning to some more positive news. Uh, and those four vaccines are, are now headed into large human trials. Uh, you have long expressed hope that a, that a viable vaccine could be ready for the first stages of distribution by the end of this year or the beginning of next. Um, do you still believe that? Well, I certainly still believe that, Jake. I think the timetable that we've discussed now over the past several months, uh, luckily and fortunately, has really worked out okay. The results of several of the phase one trials of different candidates, not only one, I'm reluctant to point out one that's gonna be better than the other because the proof of the pudding is whether it actually works in the field and is a safe and effective vaccine. But the good news is that there's more than one candidate out there and they're gonna be entering into a broader phase three trial to truly determine efficacy and also continued work on safety. One of them is gonna go into phase three trial at the end of this month, at the end of July. And that's something that we hope over a period of several months, since it's gonna be a large trial of 30,000 individuals, 30,000 volunteers, that with the degree of infection that is still ongoing in the community, we feel we'll be able to get an answer in the timetable that you just mentioned towards the end of this calendar year and in the very beginning of 2021. When we get that, I believe, and I'm cautiously optimistic about it, that we will have a vaccine that we will be able to start distributing to people in this country. Dr. Peter Hotez, a professor and dean at Baylor College of Medicine, one of your protégés, uh, he is warning people that the first vaccines might not be the best vaccines. Um, do you think theoretically people should wait uh, to get the best vaccine, no. that, that there might be uh, some, some wisdom in that? No, good point. And the answer to that is, is a resounding no. <laughs> and I'll explain why, Jake, because a vaccine will not be approved by the FDA unless it clearly shows that it's safe and it's effective. So if the first candidate that reaches so-called finish line, that doesn't mean it's the only candidate, but I would not wait to see if one was better than another because the very fact that it gets approved by the FDA means that it's good enough to protect you. And I hope that we do get approval of more than one candidate because we need a lot of vaccine, not only for people in the United States, but for the rest of the world. So we're hoping for a more than one winner. And when the first one comes out, if it's available, I would encourage people to get vaccinated. Um, let's turn to the return to school, which is obviously on the mind of, of lots of parents and teachers and children across the country. Uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and the president have insisted that schools across the country need to reopen. Um, have you spoken to them about your recommendations and your concerns about every school uh, taking all children in for in-person learning, uh, even if the virus is still spreading out of control? Jake, I have not specifically spoken to the president or to Secretary DeVos about that, but we have discussed this uh, in the presence of the vice president at the coronavirus task force meetings, because this is obviously a very important problem. You know, in general, when I think about that, I, I, I wanna take a 40,000 foot look and say, as a fundamental principle, I do agree that we should try as best as we possibly can to get the children back to school because of the well-documented, you know, secondary downstream uh, ripple effects that are negative, uh, particularly on parents and on the children when you keep them out of school. So if you at least agree that the general principle is to try as best as you can, 
to get the children back to school. I think you have to put that in the context that an important issue in that is to make sure you do whatever you can to safeguard the safety and the health of the children as well as the teachers. And that should guide your policy. See, as a father, if I could just say, I would be delighted to send my kids back to school. But obviously, I also don't want to risk their lives or risk them picking up an infectious disease that spreads to me and my wife or their grandparents, et cetera. And, and this, is, this is where I come down. I don't understand why, if it's so important to our federal leadership that kids go back to school, and I agree with the principle, as you just said you do, why we don't have testing up to speed so that the day before school, kids can all get tested, teachers can all get tested, anybody who else, administrators and custodians can all get tested, uh, and then there can be tests at the school every two weeks or so, uh, with obviously everybody washing their hands, wearing masks, et cetera, I would feel much more comfortable. And yet what I'm hearing from the federal leadership is go back to school, go back to school, and nothing along the lines of, and here's how we're gonna protect your children. You know, there are so many different models of that. And I think what's being discussed now, uh, uh, Jake, is different types of approaches to do what I just said, to adhere to the principle of getting the children back to school but in order to safeguard them, their health and their welfare, as well as the teachers, to do some sort of modeling that are different versions. And I've heard different versions from different principals and different superintendents about the school scheduling, about morning, afternoon, about alternate days, about more outdoor than indoor if you possibly can, protecting the vulnerable, but also what you're talking about, about testing. Although I haven't heard it discussed in detail, about elementary or middle school, clearly many of the universities are talking about the same model that you're talking about, that a more universal testing before you get in and intermittent at different intervals surveillance testing. That clearly is being discussed at the level of universities and colleges, whether or not that is even gonna be discussed with regard to elementary and middle and other schools, I'm not sure. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General today, Dr. Jerome Adams, said that the U.S. needs to lower the transmission rate to get schools reopened. I, I want to play for you something I heard from uh, Missouri's Republican Governor Mike Parson. This is what he had to say this week about students uh, returning to school in the fall. These kids have got to get back to school. They're at the lowest risk possible. And if they do get COVID-19, which they will, and they will when they go to school, they're not going to the hospitals. They're not going to have to sit in doctor's office days. They're going to go home and they're going to get over it. What's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, uh, in general, children who get infected, as we know from the statistics, clearly, for the most part, do very well uh, and don't get seriously ill. If you look at the rate of hospitalizations, it's much, much, much lower with children. But there are exceptions to that. And I think we have to be realistic to realize that children who get infected, for the most part, don't get serious illness, but some children do get seriously ill and some do pass it on to the adults. So I think we have to be careful when we talk about that. Uh, finally, sir, I know you're a huge uh, Nationals fan. I've seen you wear a Nationals mask at hearings. Um, you're gonna throw out the first pitch when the Nationals face off against the Yankees on opening day uh, Thursday. Um, obviously that's a, quite an honor. Um, how are you gonna do it in a way that conveys that this is baseball during a time of a pandemic? Well, Jake, I think the atmosphere in which it's gonna be occurring 
is going to be speak that very, very clearly. There's not going to be people in the stands. It's just going to be televised. So I think that in and of itself tells you something about the stark difference between what we're doing right now and what we were able to do last year at this time. All right. I hope you've practiced. That plate is a lot farther than you think it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I used to play baseball as a young boy and as a kid in school. And... Uh, <laughs> I hope I don't bounce it too much. <laughs> well, if you do, you'll be forgiven. I know you've been busy. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Jake. No matter your politics, there is value in listening to the experts. We do need their guidance as we continue to navigate through this public health crisis. Whether it's weighing the risk versus reward of returning to school or assessing the efficacy of a vaccine, we're going to continue sharing all of that information with you right here. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them in our next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.